Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. How are you guys? I agree with that. I just, uh, I think sometimes we get, we were singing in the moments when you go unnoticed, and I think if we're not careful, sometimes we can live, I mean, even just like part of a day. And, and all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. And you, and you realize, like, I hadn't I, I thought about you. Like, I've been thinking about the things I have to do or problems that I'm facing, and I forgot that you're in those with me. Like, I'm not, I'm not facing those apart from you. You don't, you don't launch me into those problems and then say, good luck, kid. You know, <laughs> you're with me, and you're walking through it with me. And, um, and so I, I just, I, I received that, 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 that he does, he goes before us and, and he comes behind us. And um, we've been talking the last, I don't know, three weeks or so or, or whatever it's been about the idea of the goodness of God. And, um, and this is part of that message that, that I, I originally planned to preach all of it in one message and um, I used to do this. I would write these messages, and then I would, I would be this, like, I am determined to get to everything that I have written. And I remember someone told me one time, they're like, you talk so fast, and you say so much that I take in, like, 20% of it, and then I have to go back to the podcast so I can hit pause. And, and, uh, and so um, I'm trying to slow down a little bit and not do that. Um, and so it's turned into a bunch of messages, but... Um, you know, we just talked about the idea that, that, you know, God, when he called the children of Israel, we use them as our example, he said, I'm bringing you into a good land. And, and then he didn't stop there, though. He actually defined what good looks like to him. Because if, if he doesn't give us a definition, if we don't have a word of the Lord, if we don't know, if I say to you that, you know, we talked about this, like if I say to you that a hot sauce is, is, is hot, or if I say, it's not that hot, if you don't know me and know what I consider hot, how do you know what it's going to be like? Like, my mother-in-law, she can't handle any spice at all. Like, seriously. They're like, how do you want, when we go places that, that, that you know, they're like, you order and they're like, so how spicy do you want that one to ten? She's like, zero. None. Seriously. And so she knows me enough to know that, like, if I'm like, oh, it's not that hot, it's going to burn her mouth. But if she doesn't know me and she hears me say it's not that hot, and then she goes and takes a big bite of it, it could burn her mouth. And she's thinking, you lied to me. No, I didn't. I just our ideas of hot are different. How do you know that God's idea of good and your idea of good are the same? And so he told them, he said, I'm bringing you out of Egypt, and I'm bringing you into a good land, a land that flows with milk and honey and with villages that you didn't build and cisterns that you didn't dig and vines that you didn't plant. And he said, I'm going to bring you into this place. But the first thing he does is he takes them out of Egypt and through a wilderness. And along the way in the wilderness, the first thing they come to is this oasis with date trees and water. Like there's sweet fruit and there's water. And if you don't know what God calls good, you could be tempted to start wanting to build your home there. Because it's so much better than where you were. And sometimes our idea of good is just better than what was. And so the first thing that comes along that's better than what was must be good. But God didn't want them to settle there. He's like, listen, this is not my idea of good. This is just a stop along the way to what I call good. 
And so we, we, we've been talking about that and talking about how there's different things that shape our ideas. You know, our experiences shape our ideas and, and, and the community of people that we're surrounded by. And, and, um, and we talked about there's a lot of different things, the teaching that we're under and, and, and just the, the, where we submit our lives and our, and our families to. You know, a lot of those things matter because it, all those things are shaping our idea and our perception. And when you hear in the psalm, when he says, who satisfies your life with good things. Like, if you hear that and you have a mentality that, well, God doesn't ever want me to have anything more than just enough to survive, your idea of good is so far below the standard that God set that he put out in his word and declared in his heart was good. And you could find yourself settling for something and and God will still bless it. It's not like you're going to live this horrible life. But, but if, I, if I tell my kids that I have something really good for them and I give them a, a present and they open it up and, and they're stoked with the box, if they don't know that there's something better for them, they could just play with the box and they'd have fun. Like, they, they, you know, when they were little, they could play with a box for a while, but there's something better in there. And if you don't know there's something better, you could spend your life playing with a box and God's going, wait a minute, the box was just the vessel to get you the thing that I wanted to give you. Stop trying to farm the desert because you found a little bit of water. And so, so we talked about that, about just the idea of who, who told you this was good. But then there's the other side of it. Because sometimes we step into the promised land and it's not like, ah. Right? Like we step into the promised land and sometimes we're like, I kind of like the wilderness. Look at the children of Israel. Open your Bibles up to Joshua chapter 5. And we'll get to it in a second. But but to get to the point where we're going to start in Joshua 5, which is them entering into the promised land, the first thing they, they have to do is they come to a body of water again. And this time, they don't just raise a staff in front of it. And I, I think the Lord did this and does this because he never wants us to make a formula where we experience something once and then we say, okay, this is how we do this. It's, he wants us to constantly need him. He wants us to constantly lean on him, to constantly go to him for God. What does this look like, and how do you, what are you doing, and, and, and what does it look like to partner with you in this? Because if, 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 if we just get a formula, and then every time we come to a body of water, we say, well, go get the leader and have him raise his staff, right? Like, well, we know what to do here. We've done this before. We've come to bodies of water before that we couldn't cross, and the last time we came to this body of water, what, what God had Moses do was, was to take his staff and hold it up. So Aaron, go, or Joshua, go get Moses' staff. Go back and do things the way we did it the last time because obviously that's the way that God wants to do it because that's what God did before. And there's so many people that live their lives waiting for him to do the same thing he did before and wondering why the water's not parting in front of them like it did the last time. And God's saying, that's not what I'm doing now. Like that was, that was what I did then. But I didn't want you to make a formula out of me. Don't think that you can just sing that same song and the same thing is going to happen. It's not a formula. It's follow, there's one formula, seek me, ask me, cry out to me, I'll show you. I promise you, if I brought you to this body of water and the promise is on the other side, there's one thing you can be sure of, you're going to go through. You're going to get to the other side. 
but it may not be the way that it was the last time. You know, they could have, how many of you guys know, like Joshua could have ran and got Moses' staff. He could have stood in front of that water and held his arm up until his arm fell off. That water wasn't going to part. Because the Lord said, this time, I want you to get the priests, and I want them to step off and into the water, carrying the ark of my presence. And when you do that, I'll hold the water back. You know, last time there was nothing required of them except just to hold up a staff. This time he says, I want you to carry my presence, and I want you to actually step into the water. I want you to trust me. I want you to do something in faith, and I'll honor your obedience by doing what you can't do, but I won't do it until you do what I've asked you to do. Like, we could sit there and pray all day long for the water to stop. It's not stopping. How many of you know, like, they could have had the world's greatest prayer meeting. They could have brought out the greatest worship leaders of the time. They could have sang, and they could have worshiped, and they could have danced, and they could have prayed and fasted until they were, like, you know, about to die from starvation, and the water's not going to part because God didn't say to do those things. He said, get my presence, get the ark. Step in and trust me. And then I love this. It's kind of a side note, but I was, as I've been just reading this story over and over again, one of the things that I love is it says, and the priests walked to the center of the river and stood there while everyone passed through. And I was thinking, man, even back in those days, the priest's goal wasn't to get somewhere. It was to get everybody there even if it meant they had to wait and put themselves in the place of greatest danger so that all the people could pass through into the promise before they did. It was never about the priest running across and saying, we made it, come on, hurry up. We think of leaders as being out in front, but oftentimes in the kingdom, the leader's not out in front. Oftentimes in the kingdom, the last are actually first, and the first to step into the water were the last to step into the promise. But in so doing, they actually made sure that everybody got to where God wanted them to be. Sometimes leading means other people experience things because of your obedience before you get to. Don't get discouraged. You're not doing something wrong. You're not missing out. There's a reward waiting for you. But don't get fooled into thinking that because other people are experiencing it first that somehow you did something wrong. They're actually living in the blessing of the priest's obedience. When their feet step through that river and they get up onto the other side and they're in the promised land, they're where they are because of the obedience of the people who aren't even in the promised land yet. Because there was somebody who cared more about being obedient to God than getting there first. There was someone who cared more about everybody getting than just them getting. It's always been that way. It's always going to be that way. Jesus looks at his disciples. What does he say? If any of you wishes to be great in the kingdom, you must become the servant of all. So that was free, but I, I don't... <laughs> no, I'm serious. There's something on that. Like You need to understand that like it's okay for other people to live in the reward of your obedience before you do. It doesn't, they're not getting at your expense. God doesn't have to withhold from you to bless somebody else. He has more than enough. It's never a supply issue. 
I promise you, you didn't get at my expense and I didn't get at your expense. It's not like God said, well, I have a limited amount of blessing. I'm going to bless them. And, and, and by doing so, that means I can't bless you. Like he has enough for everybody. There was enough promised land for everybody to enter into. But for a time, the, the priest had to stand there and see the people walking into the promise that they weren't in yet. And they had to continue to be obedient and stand in the middle of the river. In the place where if the water starts flowing again, they're in trouble. And they're there because the Lord called them to be. It's okay to continue to do something God called you to do, even if it looks like everybody else is being blessed and not you. Just stay faithful. Keep doing what he called you to do and trust that there's a day coming when you step into that thing and great will be your reward. So, so they step through, and now they're in the promised land. Like, now there's no doubt. They're in the land of Canaan, the land of milk and honey and cities and cisterns and vineyards and promise, and now they're about to see what God calls good. Like, can you imagine the excitement? Like, it's been a generation has died off. This new generation was raised on the stories of what God was going to do and of his goodness and, and of the things that he prepared for them. Can you imagine, like, the excitement they must have felt when they stepped into that place and they're like, oh, Lord, bless us. <laughs> he said, I want to bring you into a land that I might bless you. Like, this is his heart. He said it over and over and over. He even told them before they went in there, he said, listen, I'm bringing you into a place of blessing. I'm bringing you into a good land, and you're about to experience blessing like you've never known before. Just make sure that in that day, you don't forget me. Like He realizes, I'm going to give them such a blessing that they won't need me. They're not going to need me for manna anymore because they're going to have vineyards and farms they're not going to need me for water pouring out of a rock because there's going to be cisterns. They're not going to need me for shade from the sun because they're going to have homes. They're not going to need me for warmth because they're going to have fireplaces. All that I was for them in the wilderness, the things I'm giving them will provide them. I don't want them to just want me because of what I do. I want them to want me. He's Listen, he has no problem blessing you. He just wants to make sure that when you get the blessing, you're not like, okay, thank you, God. You can go back to heaven now. I'll see you when I die. No, I'm serious. You spend all that time praying for blessing, and when it comes, does it cost you the hunger for him? And here's the thing. He loves you so much, and he loved them so much, and he was so faithful to his word that even though he knew there was a chance that they would forget him, he still blessed them anyways. Why? Because he doesn't want the reason that you are relying on him to be because you have no other option. Like, when you have no other option, it's easy to choose him. When you have a whole world of options in front of you, choosing him in that moment I think is the thing that makes his heart light up because it's not like, well, we're going to die if we don't, so I guess we have to be thankful for manna. And I think, like, as a father, if my children only wanted me when I could do something for them, I start to wonder, do they love me? Or do they love what I can do? Like, 
I love seeing my kids happy, and I love being able to bless them with things, but you know what I love even more than them being happy when I bless them is when they come out in the morning and they see me and their face lights up and they run over and they give me a hug and there's nothing in my hand because then they're choosing me. And so God brings them into this place and they were probably super excited. And so here's where we pick up in, in Joshua chapter 5. I'm just going to start at verse 2. It says, At this time the Lord said to Joshua, Make yourself a f- flint knives and circumcise again the sons of Israel for the second time. So Joshua made himself flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gilbeth Harloth. This is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt were males. All the men of war died in the wilderness along the way after they came out of Egypt. For all the people who came out were circumcised, but all the people who were born in the wilderness along the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the sons of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, that is the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not listen to the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord had sworn that he would not let them see the land, which the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Their children, whom he raised up in their place, Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised along the way, saying a lot of times the same thing over and over again. There were men that came out that were circumcised, but they had died off, and all the people who were born in the wilderness along the way hadn't been circumcised yet. I would imagine circumcision in the desert would have been miserable. It's hot, you know, like sandy. (laughs) Yeah, and you know, you just... All you got is water and manna. Now, when they, had, when they had finished circumcising all the nation, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the sons of Israel camped at Gilgal, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day, the month of the, on the desert plains of Jericho. On the day of the Passover, on that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes, and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day that they had eaten some of the produce of the land, so that the sons of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate some of the yield of the land of Canaan during that year. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? He answered, No. Rather, I indeed come now as the captain of of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? The captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant warriors. You shall march around the city, all the men of war, circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark. Then on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall be when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up, every man straight ahead. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak through it, that, you, that, you, that, you, that we can eat and, and, and consume your word, God, and that it consumes us, Father. 
that your word is alive and, and, it's, and it's quick and it's, it's cutting, God, and it, it brings life, it's spirit, and it's truth. And Father, that it makes us more like you as we stare into your word and we learn from your word. Spirit, I ask that, that you would come and just open our ears and our, our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so they get into the wilderness are out of the wilderness, and they come into the promised land. They step through the Jordan parts, and, and now they're probably remembering the stories that they've heard about when Moses did it, now they've done it, and, and they step through, and they, their feet hit the shore, and they walk into this, this, this promised land, and the first thing that happens is God says to Joshua, okay, now that you're here, there's something I need for you to do. You imagine being the leader who has to go to all the men and tell them that the first thing that happens in this land of promise is you all have to be circumcised. Not on the eighth day, not as little babies, as grown men. Congratulations, you've entered into the land of promise. And the truth of the matter is, is if they're not following the voice of the Lord and they're not sure that this is where God has them, then the first thing that happens is a painful act that they have to submit them to where he's cutting something away that probably doesn't sound very good. It probably sounds, is tempting to turn around, look back at the Jordan and think to ourselves, you know, we could just go back there and hang out. There's manna. We don't have to get circumcised. But, but the first thing that happens to them is painful. Don't be shocked if as God is bringing you into something he's promised you, if you have to go through a time that's painful, that's hard, that's not easy, that's not fun, because he's dealing with something in you that needs to be removed because he says, listen, that was okay then, it's not okay now. And we don't call it good and we don't call it fun, but it's super necessary because where I'm taking you, I have to get that off of you because I don't want that following you in where I'm taking you next. And you notice that it says after he, they were circumcised, he said to Joshua, today I've removed the reproach of Egypt from you. Today, 40 years ago, I took you out of Egypt. Today, I took Egypt out of you. And now, there's nothing left that's keeping you from being who I desire for you to be as I bring you into this place of blessing. But it wasn't easy. It wasn't fun. It wasn't good in the way that we would define good. But it was his good. Sometimes things that God calls good, we call painful. Because he's not looking at our temporary, momentary joy. He's looking at our lives and he's saying, listen, I could let you not deal with that right now. And that would be easier. But it would keep you from so many things that I have for you down the road. So let's go ahead and deal with that. Would you let me, would you trust me to come and cut away what's not supposed to be there? even if it hurts, even if it's not fun, and even if you don't understand why. Do you notice he didn't say to them, I need to cut the reproach of Egypt off of you? 
We want him to tell us why beforehand. Like, we're like, God, if I'm going to do this, you have to tell me why. Like, okay, I'll go under the knife, but you tell me, like, like, I need a promise from you. And sometimes God says, listen, I've already given you a bunch of promises. There's something I want to do, and I need you to trust me, and I need you to do this by faith. And only after they actually go through what he called them through, then he says, oh, by the way, here's what I was doing. There was something on you from Egypt that I needed off of you. But he doesn't tell them that up front. Why? Because sometimes he wants to be trusted, and he wants us to live by faith not because we understand. So we lean not in our own understanding, but in all of our ways we acknowledge him and he directs our path. I would love it if every time there was something painful you had to go through, he came to you and showed you on the front side. No, I would. It would be so much easier. You'd be like, all right, let's get this over with because apparently there's something of Egypt on me and I don't want that anymore. Cut it. But sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he just says, I need to cut that away. Well, why? Because I'm God. Yeah, and there's some things I know that you don't. So they heal from that process. The very next thing that happens is they have to go out and actually harvest and make bread. And the second they do that, the manna that was there every single day is gone. So here's so far as the, the, the chronological order of promise and blessing and good. You have to, and you understand that like they didn't read this story before they stepped into the river. Like they haven't read how the priest stayed in the middle and God kept the water back and they all passed through safely onto dry land. Like, you have to know that, like, as you're walking across that river, like, there has to be a little bit of fear in you of, like, at any moment, the water could come rushing back through and everyone be swept away. Because, because there were stories of how that happened to the Egyptians, and I bet there's some people in that camp that maybe, you know, took someone else's manna the day before. And they're thinking, like, I don't know if you saw that. So they have this, like, it's probably a little bit terrifying to have to walk through knowing the water's right there and knowing that at some point it's going to start flowing again. And then they get the, across, and God says, oh, okay, well, now that you're here in the good land, in the place of blessing, I need to circumcise you. And then when you've healed up from being circumcised, I need you guys to go out and actually gather from the land and take some of the grain from the land and actually do some work. Something you haven't had to do in a while. All you had to do is walk out and just go into your little omer and then go back to your tent and take it and eat it. And every day you knew that it would be there and every day it required nothing more than you just walk out, take your little hand and scoop some into your omer and go back to your tent. Now I need you to actually go out and harvest and I need you to grind and, and I need you to bake and I need you to actually work. Oh, and by the way, now that you've done that, you have to keep doing that because the thing that was sustaining you isn't sustaining you anymore. Now you have to continually do something that you didn't have to do before when you were in the wilderness. Welcome to the promise. And we could be really tempted to want to go back to the time when nothing was required of us because all of a sudden now there's more required. 
And we start going, I don't know that this is good. I'm, <laughs> I'm just not sure this, is what, this isn't what I, I call good. God never conferred with you when he decided what was good. And so I wrote this down. Sometimes when the Lord is moving us into what he calls good, it requires more of us than the season that passed. It doesn't mean that we have messed up. A lot of times it means we've grown up. A lot of times it means we went from being children to sons, and if sons, then heirs. And, and here's the thing. In, in Luke, Jesus was talking. He said, from everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask more. Doing more is sometimes a sign that you've been entrusted with more, even though it can feel like you've lost his favor. And if you're deciding whether or not this is good based on how it feels or whether it's hard or easy or easier than it was before or harder than it was before, you could be tempted to think, this is not good, we've done something wrong because now we're having to actually work every day. Now there's something required of me where once I could just go out and pick up manna, now I have to actually go through the process of working and harvesting and baking and doing all this stuff that I didn't have to do before. And the truth is, is like every time the Lord moves you into something new, there generally is more required of you in that season. I look at our church, and I'm like, when there was 50 people here, there was a lot less required of us. Like, you look around, this, this, like the 8.30 is the service with the least people, right? And there's way more people here than there used to be. And when we had one service on a Sunday, there was a lot less required. And as we've grown and as he's entrusted us with more and more, more and more has been required of us. And if we're judging whether or not it's good or it's God by what is required of us, we could be tempted to think that we're doing something wrong because we're having to do more. Now, there's a grace there. Like, don't get me wrong. It's not like we're like, oh, man, we're just slaving away for Jesus. There's a grace on it, but there's a whole lot more required. So, so blessing to the Lord and good to the Lord looked like trusting him in a scary situation, submitting yourself to, to something painful so that he could remove things, and then having to actually go out and work for the bread that you're eating. I mean, that doesn't sound like promise or good. Sometimes the old way is easier and required less, but growing up in him means you grow up in responsibility. So they, they eat some of the harvest of the land of Canaan and the manna dries up. And did you notice that it wasn't milk or honey or grapes? It was unleavened bread and parched grain. Nothing delicious, nothing sweet, nothing that was promised to them as what they would eat when they got into the land. Sometimes walking into your promise means learning to be content with less than what was promised until you step into what actually was promised so that God can see that your heart isn't just there because he's giving you the things that you want. And so there could be a time where he calls you into a season of blessing, but it doesn't immediately look like blessing. Will you be okay if it's not honey and milk and grapes right away? 
will you be okay just to eat unleavened bread and parched grains for a season, trusting that if I continue to be faithful and continue to do what he's called me to do, he will be faithful and do what he said he would. You need to hear that. Someone does, because I just, I felt that when I was preparing this message weeks ago, and I really feel it this morning. Sometimes it doesn't look immediately like what the end promise was. Don't give up just because the first step doesn't look like the last step. Don't turn around and start trying to climb a different ladder because the first step on the ladder didn't get you what was promised at the top of the ladder. Keep climbing. Keep being faithful. Keep doing what he's called you to do and trust that if he showed you a promise and the first step doesn't look like the promise, then you don't stay there. It's just the first step. But how long you stay on that first step, he doesn't always tell you. Don't you wish he would? Don't you wish he'd be like, hey, for three weeks you're going to have to do this, but then don't worry. The problem with that is, once again, it robs us of the opportunity to to live by faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And he really wants to be pleased by you. He's not in heaven with his arms crossed going, well, I guess if they figure it out, I'll let them please me. No, he tells you what it takes to please him. Why? Because he wants to take pleasure in you. Like, he wants you to please him. He's not in heaven going, I hope they don't ever crack that nut. But if they do, I guess I'll be pleased with them. No, he wants you. So he gives you opportunities to live by faith so that you can live a life that's pleasing to him. But the problem with the opportunities to live by faith is they don't always please us. Well, you just think about it. If you were a kid and you'd grown up your whole life hearing that when we get to the promised land, yeah, we're eating manna every day. Yeah, sometimes it gets old. Be thankful. But... Because we throw that in there, you know? Like, that's the Christian cherry on top of the Sunday. Like, but be thankful after we complain about the very thing that we're saying be thankful about. Like, don't do that. Don't gossip about somebody and then throw, so pray for them on the end of it and think that that made it Christian. <laughs> that got quiet. <laughs> I'm serious. Don't sit around grumbling and complaining and then cap it off with, but, I, you know, I guess it could be worse, so I should be thankful. You can't head fake God. But if you've been told your whole life, when we get to the promised land, we're going to have milk, we're going to have honey, we're going to have grapes, we're going to have all this stuff, we're going to have homes and cities and all, and you're living on a plane gathering just, just enough to make unleavened bread and eat parched grains, and you're having to do hard things, it could be really easy for people to say, like, what have we done wrong? Surely we must be living in disobedience somewhere because this doesn't look like the promise. And the thing is, is if, if the Lord comes and says, oh, don't worry, you're doing exactly what I want you to do, it's only going to be like this for a few weeks, then faith goes out the window and you're living by your own understanding and you don't even need to acknowledge him for the next couple weeks And sometimes he just wants you every day to seek him. Every day. Maybe all the time. Maybe he's never brought you into a season of life where the blessing was supposed to take over and make room or or, and and do away with the need for him and his presence. So so they're they're eating these parched grains and they're doing that. And now Joshua, you to picture him as the leader, he starts walking towards the city and and it's got these huge walls that are impenetrable. So, so now the promised land looks like, you know, everything they've gone through. And, oh, straight ahead of us, there's a city with walls that no man can go in and no man can come out of. 
like, don't be surprised if when you walk into the promise of God, the first thing you run into isn't something that's impossible for you to get through on your own. Because he's bringing you into a place where you're going to need to rely on him and he wants you to learn that now so that you, when you walk in and possess the promise, the promise doesn't possess you. So that you actually understand your need for him and never forget it. And so Joshua's walking. I love this, you know, because there's some theology about angels out there that's weird. I've heard, you know, people are like, oh, I command angels. You don't command angels. Jesus didn't even give himself the right to do that. He said, don't you know I could have asked the Father and he would have sent angels. Jesus didn't even presume that he could have commanded angels. Be careful. I've just, I've heard it and it's kind of loose. And, you know, oh, you know, I, I, I command angels to do this. You don't command angels. They respond to the word of the Lord. And they walk up to this angel, and the first thing Joshua says to him, are you for us or against us? He says, no. <laughs> Don't you love that? Like, are you, like here's a, a fierce, I imagine angels probably look super fierce, and he's got his sword drawn. And you know Joshua has to be thinking, of course, this angel's for us, because so far I've been obedient. I've done what God's called us to do. He said he would send angels in before us to, to take over the land. You know that Joshua was probably expecting the angel to say, I'm for you, mighty man of war, go. She says, are you for us or against us? The angel says, no. I'm here on the word of the Lord of hosts. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm neither. Your decision will decide whether I'm for you or against you. Because the word of the Lord doesn't change. If you align yourself with what God's called you to, I'll be for you. If you come against what God's called you to, I'll be against you. And it doesn't really matter to me because I'm not here for you. I'm free for him. So Joshua has this encounter with the angel, and he says, are you for us or against us? The angel says, no. I'm just saying this. Like, like every person that saw an angel fell on their face in fear. And the angel had to say, don't be afraid. There was a reason. And so the angel tells Joshua, he says, so Joshua bows down and he says, well, what would the Lord say to me? In other words, I really want you on my side. Just tell me what I have to do. And he says, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. Joshua had to have his own burning bush moment because Moses was no longer there. And what Moses experienced with the Lord wasn't enough for Joshua he had to have his own encounter. Remember the, angel, the burning bush, the first thing he says is he says, what do you, take off your shoes because the ground you're standing on is holy. God brings Joshua to the same place and says, take off your shoes, the ground you're standing on is holy. Why? You can't live on somebody else's encounter with the Lord. It can encourage you into your own, but you have to have your own. Every single one of us has to have our own encounter with the Lord. Stories of other people's are amazing, and they, the testimonies encourage us and challenge us and spur us on, and they make us hungry, and they give us an appetite for something we didn't even know existed at times. But you can't live on it. You have to have your own. And so he says, take off your shoes, and then when Joshua takes off his shoes, then the Lord speaks to him. I'll close with, with this. He says, the Lord says to him, let me get back to it and I'll just read it. I don't want to paraphrase the Lord. The Lord said to Joshua, see, I've given Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant warriors. 
You shall march around the city, all the men of war, circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also, the priest shall carry the trumpets of ram's horn before the ark. Then on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priest shall blow the trumpets. It shall be when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and every man will go straight ahead. He says, here's the plan. I'm going to call you to do something that's ridiculous and that doesn't make sense to anybody that hasn't heard my voice. And what I want you to do is I want you to not say one word. When Joshua gives the instructions to the people, he says, see that not one word comes from your mouth until that time when God said, then open your mouths and shout. He says, I want you to, to for six days, go and march around the city. Imagine the first day when they came and they marched around the city, the people were like, But nothing happened. And the second day, the people were probably like, here they come again, idiots. And nothing happened. And by the third day, I'm sure they're probably taunting them and making fun of them and challenging them and asking them why they're wasting their time. And there's six days of silence that leads up to one day of shouting. We all look at the day that we see the shout and the wall falls, and we say, that's the day of victory. But the truth of the matter is the victory was won in the six days of silence where nothing was happening, but God was moving. And what if every time they walked around that city, God was just pulling another block out of the wall and no one could see what was happening and God was just silently removing blocks from the foundation and every day their obedience is what gave God the ability to go because he's bound by his word and he said, if you do this, then I will do this. And so what if every day as they march, God's over there just undermining the foundation just a little bit more. Every one of their footsteps is another shovel full of sand coming out of the foundation. And then on the seventh day, when it doesn't make sense to anybody, and when it doesn't make sense to them, and when the people of the city by this point are probably convinced that that Israel has lost their minds and are content to circle our city for the rest of their lives, on that seventh day, suddenly, there's a blast from the trumpet, there's a shout, and the walls fall completely down flat. And everybody looks and says, that's the day of victory. But the truth of the matter is, that was the crowning moment of a victory that took place in six days of silence when nobody understood. And do you know there's so many people, I, feel, I honestly felt this word for a lot of people, how do you know that you're not in the sixth day? Don't give up. Don't give up on doing what God called you to do and being obedient to the word because how do you know that tomorrow's not the day when the shout comes from your mouth and the horn blasts and the walls come flat and what no man can do, God's done. But what if what made it possible was the things that nobody saw? What if it was the days of silence when nobody saw what was happening and where people, if they did see what you were doing, would probably laugh at you because what you're doing looks ridiculous because it doesn't make any sense if it's not from God's mouth. Look, don't be shocked if people around you that haven't heard his voice think what you're doing is ridiculous. In fact, if people that don't hear the voice of the Lord think everything in your life makes sense, something's probably wrong. Because there should be things in our lives that only make sense because he spoke. So they march, and they march, and the city walls come down flat and they go in and they possess the first part of the promise 
And they take the gold and the silver and the bronze. They take the best. They burn everything else. Why? Because God doesn't want you living in the remnant of an enemy when he has more for you if you keep moving ahead. Listen, here's the, here's the challenge all the time, is that as we follow the Lord, we will arrive at things that look better and better and better along the way. The challenge isn't getting to things that are better than where we are. That's going to happen. It's a promise of the Lord that we move from glory to glory. The challenge is not settling in the first stop and being content to live in less than the fullness of what he's promised. Because if, if they're not careful, they stop at the first oasis in the wilderness where there's water and date trees. Or they stop at the first city that they plunder in the promised land. But God has so much better for them. Listen, he has so much better for you, for me, for us as a church family, as individuals. He has so much better. Why? Because I haven't seen or ear heard the things that, there's in the, that have entered into the mind of God for those that love him but we have the mind of Christ. But he's given us his spirit. And so I just want to challenge you and encourage you that maybe you haven't been settling for something less than his idea of good and staying in the wilderness. But maybe you've entered into the promised land and it doesn't look like what you expected in this moment. Maybe actually it's harder right away when you first got into the promise than it was in the wilderness. And maybe you're tempted to turn around and look back and think either I did something wrong or I must have misheard him because this doesn't seem like promise. This actually seems like a lot more work, a lot harder, and it actually requires more of me than where I was before. Don't go back to that place. Just keep going forward and stay faithful. I promise you he's worth it. And then when you step into the fullness of the promise and you're in the land of milk and you're in the land of honey, you'll have learned everything you need to learn along the way so that when you get to that place, you're capable of living in the promise and valuing his presence the way he desires. And the promise won't possess you. You'll possess it. So Father, would you just keep us moving forward? God, would you just continue to draw us? God, if there's anything in our lives that, that is left from that old life that you want to cut away, God, that we would come to you and ask you to do it. God, that we would be willing every time you say that, that you want to cut something away, but Father, let our hearts be so for you, God, that we would find ourselves in front of you saying, God, let's just do it all. Just cut it all away. I don't want to have to go through this again in a year, two years, five years. I don't want you to have to continually come to me and remind me, hey, that's not okay. Hey, that's not okay. Hey, I need to get rid of this. God, would you just come and cut everything away so that we don't take anything with us from an old life that would hinder us from living in this new life in Christ. Father, we worship you and we're thankful for you.